here to declare and testify that the goodness, the mercy, the kindness, the love, and the grace that God gives to us. He desires for his goodness, kindness, grace, and mercy to, to be displayed through us. We're just not to receive it. We're to give it. So let's pray together. Father God, we come now needing a word from you. You've already spoken. Even in our singing to you and blessing you, you've already spoken to our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that this is a relationship. It's not one way. I thank you, Lord, that it's not forced. I thank you, Lord, that we can interact with you and not just intercede to you that you delight in us, that you care about every hair that's on our head, every pain that's in our heart. Jesus, you called your disciples friends. And with Israel Houghton, we can sing and say, I am a friend of God. Lord, we're all here today because we all need to be delivered from religion. Religion is cold and stale, robotic, man-centered, works-driven. But God, today I want to talk about grace. We need to get a taste of grace today and allow grace to appear to us and then through us. We need grace. We thank you that we have it in abundance. Thank you that we could sing about your grace being amazing this morning. Now, Lord, as I teach on it, would you, as the old preacher would say, would you stand in my body and think with my mind and speak with my mouth? And would you give your people ears to hear this morning because we all need this message. And the people we interact with need your grace emanating through each and every one of us. Thank you, God. We pray these blessings in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We have two verses this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are going through the book of 2 Timothy, seeking to find encouragement and admonishment. As Paul was writing this letter to Timothy from a Roman jail cell, awaiting execution, he wrote this letter to Timothy saying, if you can just get here, <laughs> come quickly. And as we'll cover in weeks to come, he says, and when you come, man, bring my books. 
bring my coat, my cloak. It's a very personal letter from a father to his spiritual son. And like Timothy, we all need encouragement and we also all need admonishment. We need a pat on the back and sometimes a kick in the rear. We need both. Verse one, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We get our title and our focus from verse one today where he says, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and with your prayers. And of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit, let's talk today on the subject of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is one of those words that we use all the time. We even say grace. Grace is one of those words that we use all the time and uh, we know what it means. But if you were to ask each of us to give a definition of grace, we would probably get as many different definitions of grace as there are people in the sanctuary today. Because grace is one of those exhaustive words uh, that we really can't define it. And I'm here to let you know that that's a good thing. That we can't really put one definition on grace. Because grace is such a personal word. There are core components to what grace is, but grace is what we just heard our worship leader share with us about her son, Trey, and how grace showed up late in the midnight hour to protect her son. Cars we can replace, sons we cannot. And there has been an unusual I'll go ahead and say the word attack from the gates of hell against Trey Gibson and his friends, three amigos. Two of them, I believe, recently graduated from TSU. And in this group, this trio, one of them passed away. Another one went through another kind of trial pertaining to a car that was stolen and Trey's car was stolen and and he's held up in his car. We see God protection and we also see God continuing to get the attention of a young man. And not that he is wayward. He's a good man, a godly young man. But I believe God is doing something in Trey's life because he's got a praying father and a praying mother and a praying pastor and uh, maybe what he was thinking, God is saying, I've got more for you beyond what you're thinking because I'm going to teach you about grace in such a way that no dictionary or seminary can teach you because you're alive for a reason, because I still got work to do in you and through you to others. 
you've got a story to tell. And if we are alive today, and we are, we have a story to tell because grace is appearing to us and even through us. But when we start talking about, man, define it, man, that's not easy. Because once you've defined grace, you've put limits on it. And one thing we know about grace is that grace is limitless. If you've never heard much about grace, I hope that you'll listen today to this message. Because not only is grace limitless, it is measureless. And grace has a cousin called mercy. And they are inseparable. And in the song, How He Loves, the David Crowder band gives us these words. And we sing this song in this church. And the verse says, if his grace is an ocean, we're all what? Sinking. So they're using an image, an illustration, a metaphor that we can try to capture this thing that cannot be fully captured. It can only be received and experienced because if grace is like an ocean, we're all sinking and there are some oceans that are so deep that there is no mechanism that man can create in order to measure how deep an ocean is. There are depths upon depths. And even when the Titanic was finally discovered, it was so deep down that there were machines that man could not create to go down that deep in order to even explore the wreckage. And so oceans are deep. And so what David Crowder is trying to get us to see is that grace is deep. <laughs> grace is overwhelming. Grace is inexhaustible. Imagine bringing a thimble to the ocean in an attempt to capture the ocean in the thimble. Impossible. And so when the Bible says that our sin abounds, but grace does what? It superabounds. We come to God with these thimble-like issues and problems that are overwhelming to each and every one of us. But in light of God's grace, man, the ocean of his grace overwhelms the thimble of our issues and our problems. And grace encourages us to have a bigger view of who God is. <laughs> The one in the highest heavens cannot contain him. The one who lavishes grace upon his children that is limitless and measureless. This is why the grace of God is the overwhelming, unearned goodness, kindness, and supply of God freely given to sinners. I just gave you a definition and it falls short. But I'll say it again, grace, God's grace, the Greek word is charis, which is one reason why we named our daughter, our youngest daughter, charis, because of grace. And at the root of the word charis is the word gift. So whatever grace is, charis, it is a gift from God who lavishes overwhelming, unearned goodness, kindness, and supply upon sinners. And it's given for free. Uh, nobody had to pay for air this morning, right? Uh, when you walked out of your house, um, you were able to breathe a gift. 
and you were able to breathe the air that's a gift with lungs that were a gift. Uh, and if you keep on going on and on and how the oxygen works in your body and helps your blood and all these things, that all of this is God's overwhelming, unearned supply that he gives to us freely. That's grace. But even that definition falls short. And this is why, oh, you got to get this today. This is why the best way to define grace is not through a statement. The best way to define grace is in a person. Oh, my God. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, that this grace is in Christ Jesus. But so many of us want to run to find a definition of grace in a book. But he's saying this grace is in a person. This grace is personified in Jesus Christ. So therefore, before grace is theological, it's personal. I went to seminary. <laughs> seminary has its place, but if you're not careful, Paul said it, knowledge will puff you up. And you can get definitions of grace and you can read all kinds of books, and we should. So I don't want to put that down. But if you're not careful, you can get the concepts and the constructs and miss the Christ. You can spend a lot of time getting a lot of head knowledge, but your heart hasn't changed. That's why grandma, who sits in an old rocking chair on a porch with a corn pipe uh, in her mouth, she could tell you more about grace than the wisest theologian who's degreed up and down because it's more personal than it is theological. Yes, grace is theological. Don't not hear me say that, but let's not lose the fact that grace is defined in a person. You don't believe me? John 1.14. The Bible says in John 1.14. You guys have it? This is an audible sermon. I gave them these scriptures about an hour ago, maybe. Because God was saying, we, we, we got an audible this morning. I had a play scripted. But the Lord said, no, run this play. And any quarterback on the field who is told to run a different play has to at least know the playbook well enough that when the audible is called, that they know the play and the guys on the team know the play. So God's throwing an audible this morning, and I'm excited about it. So I hope you join me in enjoying this word. The Bible says in John 1:14, and the word became flesh. You know, the word who is God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace, grace and truth. So whatever grace is, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's go further into verse 17 of John chapter 1. The Bible says in John 1:17, for the law was given through Moses. And there are Christians who just want to stay right there in the law. But come on over 
Because grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. So this grace is in Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And when Moses gave the law, the purpose of the law, according to Paul, was to lead us to Jesus Christ. Because the law reminds us that we cannot keep it. It is good. It is right. It is just. We just cannot keep it. But someone kept it on our behalf. And someone died for people who broke every one of those commandments and then some. So grace is found in Jesus Christ. And so the Sunday school teacher will try to take this biblical concept and teach the children and use an acrostic and say, grace, G-R-A-C-E. Children, how do we understand grace? G-R-A-C-E. It is God's riches at Christ's expense. Somebody who's an adult said, Lord, thank you for that this morning. Uh, I missed Sunday school growing up. Uh, Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace in Christ gives us everything we need for life and godliness. Grace in Christ. As a matter of fact, grace in Christ gives us access to the very throne of God. When I went to pray this morning, I came before the Father in and through Jesus Christ because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And yes, that begins for us salvifically, that we can only be born again through Jesus. Jesus is the passageway. He is the door of heaven, the only one who can bring us before the very presence of an omnipotent, omniscient, omnisapient God. He's the only one who can get us in the presence of God. Why? Because we have to be robed in his righteousness in order to get into the presence of God. And so by grace through faith, God imputes righteousness to us, the righteousness of Jesus, allowing us to go into the presence of God. Not just for when we die and go to heaven, thank God for that, but every single day. Which is why we encourage to pray in Jesus' name. Because the name of Jesus gives us access to God. And when I go to the Father in the name of Jesus, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16, that I am transported from earth to the very throne of God. Because he begins that passage talking about how Christ is our high priest, our great high priest who came down from heaven so that men could go up to heaven. And our high priest knew no sin. He was tempted in every way, but he never sinned. And Paul goes on to, or the, Paul, the writer of Hebrews, some think it was Paul, said, let us therefore, because he is our high priest, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Did you get that? Because in the Old Testament, Not everyone could come into the presence of God, which was represented over the Ark of the Covenant, which was a gold box. And there was a lid on top of it called the mercy seat and blood would be sprinkled on that lid once a year on the Day of Atonement by the high priest who would have to go in behind the veil in the most holy place, first the tabernacle, then the temple. And he would go in very humbly, 
having to have his own sins washed and atoned for with blood on his ear and on his toe, all kinds of uh, uh, requirements in order to approach a holy God on earth. And if he did not follow those things to the T, he would die. And so once a year he would go in, but, 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 when Jesus died, when his blood was shed, grace personified, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom as if God ripped it and said, y'all have access now, not just once a year, not just one person, but any and everyone who comes through the blood of Jesus. That's why it's called good news. Can now come into the throne room of Papa, of Daddy. <laughs> the spirit of sonship and adoption. We, we can sit on his lap and tell him, all about our troubles that he already knows about. We have access. This, this is not just about salvation. This is about relationship. This is about fellowship. And we don't have to wait till Sunday to have that. Anytime we can come into his presence and go to the throne of God. And I like how he says, not only do we get to go in, but we get to go in Boldly. You know why you get to go in boldly? Because God is your father. You've been adopted. And because God is your father, you can go in boldly into his throne room. We're not talking about the Ark of the Covenant. We're talking about the very portals of eternity where God resides. We come in bold. So that's a mindset. And grace allows me to be bold. Because the one who personifies grace made the way for me to boldly approach the throne of grace that I may find grace when I need grace. Because if grace is like an ocean, we're all sinking. It's the overwhelming supply, unending supply, kindness, goodness of God. So Lord, help me to think like a son that can go freely into your presence, like my children can come freely anytime they want into my office. They just come on in. Well, they're my children. But slaves don't think like that. They don't think like sons. They're sheepish. They're ashamed. They're hesitant. They're reserved. They're wondering, can I go now? But through the high priest, I can go boldly before Papa. Anytime I want. And there's grace to help me in my time of need. Might we use what we have? Because there was a time, another illustration in the book of Esther. Sister Esther, just so we can see how awesome God is. Esther was married to the king. And, uh, you know... She had to go into the presence of the king in order to save her people because the king had, unbeknownst to him, inadvertently signed an edict because Haman, who represents Satan, had come and, and, and tricked him, if you will, to sign an edict, a law, to kill all the Jews who existed in uh, Persia at the time. And so 
Mordecai, who's on the street, said, look here, honey, God didn't just put you in that palace just for you. He put you in that palace by grace and so that grace can go through you to help other folk. Because whatever God gives to you, he wants to give through you. That's the message. So we get all this grace so we can give all this grace to people who don't deserve it any more than you deserve it. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to help somebody today. We're going somewhere. Don't get off the bu bus. Hang with us. But Esther needed to go in and talk to her husband. But there was a law back then, and we'll read it in a minute. You couldn't go into the king's presence unless you had permission from him to come ahead of time. And so can, can I read here? Let me see here. Esther chapter 4, look at verse 10. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. Because Mordecai like, you, you need to go in there, girl. And she said, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. In other words, you just can't roll up on him. Yet, I myself have not been called to go in to the king these 30 days. So, the wife, the queen, hasn't been called in. So she's saying to Mordecai, I just can't go up in there. And then Mordecai says, well, let me tell you something. <laughs> if you don't go, God will provide deliverance for his people elsewhere. But, but who knows? Perhaps God brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. For you just not to be walking around the palace alive, but for you to use your favor, your access to the king that other folks may live where the system is crushing them. So look at chapter five, because girl said, well, I'm going to fast. She says, I'm going to fast. And if I die, I die. That's the spirit, Esther. Verse five. Now it happened on the what day? The third day. Something about them third days in the Bible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house while the king sat on his royal what? Throne. In the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor, which is another word for grace, in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. She can't even go in when she wants, and she's married to him. She has to fast and, and hope that she doesn't die because there were no guarantees. And she was banking on him to extend the scepter, which was to extend, extend favor and grace to her that she may come into his presence and ask what she had need of. And here God, because of Jesus, the high priest, who goes before us, says, come on now. Everybody can come, and everybody can come freely. As a matter of fact, you can come when you want, and you can come boldly so that 
you may find what you need. Do you need something today? (laughs) Not just material things. God knows that you need those things. But he wants us to seek first the kingdom of God. Just come on in. Make yourself at home in his presence. Because when God's grace truly reaches you, it will naturally reach others through you. She went in, received grace, and began to intercede for other people that they might receive grace. What's this message about? It's about grace that God gives to us. And when it makes an impact on us, grace will go through us. We're not leaving grace again in a theological definition, just, you know, higher thinking and all that, because what good is grace if folk don't see it through you and feel it through you and experience it through you? They surely saw it, heard it, felt it, and experienced it through Jesus, who was full of grace. So when Paul is talking to Timothy, his hesitant spiritual son, And he talks to him about a guy named Onesiphorus at the close of chapter one, who refreshed Paul often. You can't refresh people unless God is refreshing you. In other words, Onesiphorus was ministering to Paul because God was ministering to him. And so ministry flowed through Paul, Onesiphorus, to Paul. And Paul says in chapter two, therefore, I want you to be a refresher. Like Onesiphorus. But you've got to open yourself up to the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is, grace may flow through to you and through you to refresh others. The Bible says that Christ in 1 Corinthians 15 is a life-giving spirit. And Paul is comparing Jesus to Adam. Adam took life. By his disobedience. Christ gave life by his obedient sacrifice. And whenever Christ went somewhere, life was given. And for those of us who are in Christ and Christ is in us, when we walk in rooms, we shouldn't be the ones sucking the air out of the room. We should be the ones giving life in the room. (laughs) Because grace is refreshing us and we have the capacity to refresh others. But if grace is not refreshing us, then we're not going to be able to refresh others. Oh, it's so simple. Grace comes through a person. The person is Jesus Christ. And when you receive and experience, and even, dare I say, enjoy his grace, others are beneficiaries of that grace. 1 Corinthians 11, 23, Paul says, For I received from who? The Lord. That which I also delivered to you. And this is the communion passage, you know. And then he talks about on the night that Jesus was betrayed, on and on and on. But he says, I received this from the Lord, and now I'm delivering it or passing it on to you. But so many of us, we receive from the Lord, and we pass it on to no one. We're Dead Sea believers. Versus Sea of Galilee believers. The Dead Sea, all it does is receive from the Jordan River. It has no outlets, and because it has no outlets, nothing lives in it. 
it's dead. But the Sea of Galilee that pours into the Jordan and into the Dead Sea ultimately has outlets. And any Christian that only receives and never gives out is a dead Christian. He didn't save you just so that you can go to heaven anyhow. Because <laughs> he would have just taken you to heaven. How, where, think about wherever you met Jesus, at the altar, at a camp, uh, at a bar, wherever you met Jesus. When you said, Jesus, yes, I trust you, Jesus. Come into my life. Lord, I repent. However you pray. He didn't take you to heaven. Boop, right there. He left you here <laughs> so that his grace could appear to you and through you. So that you can be a beggar looking for the bread of life, telling other beggars and hungry folk how they can get fed in their soul. He left you here to be a minister of his grace, not just a taster of his grace, because we love to taste the grace. We love getting grace for us. Woo, thank you for grace. Thank you for your mercy. When's the last time someone received grace through you? Mercy through you. He wants you to be a conduit, a vessel of grace. So what you receive from the Lord, you pass on. That's what discipleship is. So when he says in verse 2, the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit to faithful men who can uh, commit to others also. Let's keep this thing going. What did you hear from Paul, Timothy? Grace. Not just theology. He heard and he saw and he experienced grace because more is caught than taught. They observed Jesus. And that's why he said, teach them to obey or to observe what I've commanded you. Let folks watch you live this out. Learn it, live it, and then leave it with somebody else. Let them watch you live it. That's how we make disciples, not just by information. <laughs> Here's another one, man. 2 Corinthians 4.15. For all things are, you, are for your sakes, Paul says, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Grace is to spread. And God's people are to be people who emulate and imitate Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. Because if we have too much truth, we're going to tip into legalism. But grace must be balanced with truth. Otherwise, grace will turn into grease and we'll just allow everything and anything to slide on by. Grace is not a charge card. God is really saying grace ought to be a motivation. That when you taste grace, undeserved unearned, overwhelming kindness and mercy and love and favor on your life from a God who could have crushed you but instead crushed his son. Now, if that don't motivate you to want to do right, ain't no law gonna make you do right. Because he did right to me, I don't wanna do wrong. So grace ushers me into a new life where I want to live for this God who was so good to me when he didn't have to be. Yeah. 
That's grace. Ephesians 4.32, here it is. I'm coming down your street. I got some mail. And be kind to one another. That's one of the expressions of grace. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. That is Christ right there all up in the conversation right here. Christ forgave you. He gave you grace, and since he gave you grace, you give grace to somebody else and forgive them as a way to show that you've been forgiven by God freely. This is where the rubber meet the road, and this is the real stuff right here. Remember how Jesus sent the disciples out two by two? He gave them gifts and grace to perform miracles, cast out devils and heal the sick and all of that. And he said to them, freely you have what? Received. So freely what? Give. So when you give these gifts of healing and all these things to people, you don't charge them because God did not charge you. Freely you've received, freely bless. It's not yours to hold or to hoard or to walk around talking about how many devils you can cast out. What good is that if you don't help cast this devil out of this little boy right here? Freely you've received, so freely give. It's my prayer that this sermon will serve as a spiritual enema today. I want this sermon to be a spiritual laxative today. You know why? Because a lot of us are constipated with unforgiveness. A lot of us are stuck up, clogged up with bitterness. And the Holy Ghost can't flow freely through us because we're holding stuff against people that we say are not worthy of grace from us. And some of us are married to that person. And God is saying, as I have forgiven you in Christ, I want that grace to flow to you and through you to forgive other people. Because if you stay too long and not forgiving other people, now you're going to disrupt the flow of grace into your life now. Because God ain't going to be mocked now. Why should he continue to give grace to you when you won't give grace away? When you read the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 19 about the unforgiving servant who was forgiven a debt, a great debt, what's implied is that he was to go out and forgive other people the way he's been forgiven. Grace was to flow to him and through him. And so the first test came, somebody owed him five bucks. That's the urban Ebonic translation of that parable. <laughs> he had been relieved and released of a debt of millions of dollars. Somebody owed him a few ducats. Some of y'all go back to ducats. My daddy would always say, I only got about 10 ducats in my pocket. Ducats. That means $10. <laughs> and the Bible says he did not release that person from the debt and choke that person. And threw him in jail. 
Word got back to the overseer, the king. He said, come in. I forgave you all of this debt. How dare you not forgive this person of that little bit of debt they have against you? How, so, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm throwing you in prison now. Stop, stopped up, clogged up, locked up in jail because you won't give grace to people. But you want to receive all the grace that you can from God. But with God, it don't work like that. Paul said it wasn't just the Ephesian church that needed to hear this. The church at Colossae needed to hear this. Colossians 4.13, bearing with one another. Isn't that the church? We got to bear with one another because we can all be a bear sometimes. I know we don't think that we're like that, but you are yogi bear just like the rest of us, all right? You got issues, problems, and that's why we come to church, because we all need grace from God and each other. Bear with one another, forgiving one another. That is forgiving one another, even if they don't ask. I forgive them, because if I don't forgive them, I'll have a case of constipation. I ain't trying to have my spiritual bowels locked up. So I'm going to forgive if, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ. There he is again, all up in the mix. Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But wait a minute. You, you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what she did to me. Mm -hmm. But God knows what you did to him. So Christians ought to be the most gracious people on the planet. But why is it that many times Christians look like people who have been baptized in lemon juice? Why do we look so mean and why are we many times not kind? Jesus said they're going to know you by your love. Not by the hat you wear to church or the stockings you wear that no one can see through the stockings or them white shoes with the cushions. That, that's not what defines holiness or spirituality. It's love. And loving people, which includes all of us, who do not deserve to be loved are people who deserve judgment, but God says, I'm going to love you because I am love. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it. And I expect my people to do the same because the spirit is conforming you to the image of Jesus. So give love. In the words of take six, spread love. Now I'm going to say this. It's not like I don't say things that are controversial. I, ain't going to change the day. The verdict of Kyle Rittenhouse. Not going to get into the sides and the back and forth. We know the country is divided politically. and We know the church is divided politically. And that's really one of the main reasons the world is divided because the church is divided. We look at things through a political lens as Christians. We grab the political lens, the 
the Fox News lens or the CNN lens or the MSNBC lens before we grab the biblical lens. So that when we look at the Bible, we're looking at the Bible through a CNN lens or a Fox News lens or a conservative, a liberal lens. And we look at what happened there. And there are people who are cheering on the fact that this young man got away with murder. And when you dig deeper with them, and they begin talking more about his Second Amendment right, Christians, than the Second Commandment that Jesus spoke about. Second, uh, you know, it's about guns. He had a right. Under age, judge threw that part out. The second commandment that Jesus spoke about, love. Love your neighbor as you love yourself because God first loved you. So pass on love. Christians, I, I got to say something to the Christians because y'all going to be inviting him to come and preach at your churches in a little while. Because you're holding him up as the representation I don't know, of American vigilantism. I don't, I, but he killed people. But you know what though? Uh, they deserve to die. I've been saying that. Because people pulling out stuff on the folks that died, talking about they were pedophiles and I haven't even bothered to read that stuff. Because what they're saying is that the killings are justified. You, you don't want to hear this. The killings are justified because they're pedophiles. But see, we're used to that as black people. The killing was justified because he was selling cigarettes. The killing was justified because he was barbecuing in his grandmother's backyard. The killing was justified because he told the cop, Philando Castile, I do have a gun with me and it's legal. I'm going to reach for it. Don't, don't, no, don't you dare do it. Because black skin has become a weapon in this country. But Christian, should not our love be extended to the victims, even though the judge didn't want them to be called that, the victims' families? No matter what their sons did, were they not still human beings made in the image of God and loved by God? But when you politicize things, you thingify people. Those families need our prayer. They need to know about grace. But it's the Christian people saying that they deserve it. You know what this reminds me of? John chapter 8. Because here's the thing, religious people will kill you. <laughs> religious people don't know about grace. And it makes me even wonder if they know the God of all grace. They know religion, but do they know God? John chapter 8, a woman has been caught in adultery by the religious people. I don't know how you catch people in adultery and only come up with one person. And they had an agenda to trap Jesus and to kill this woman. They, her life meant nothing 
to them. These religious folk, the pro-life people, they pro-stoning people, pro-gun people, pro-execution people, but they're the pro-life people, really. I don't even believe you're pro-birth. I believe you're pro-politic, you're pro-power, and you pimp babies in the womb as a way to keep political power because you guilt trip Christians to vote a particular way because all this voting for Republicans hasn't stopped one baby from being aborted. And y'all keep using that lie because Christians are caught up in a herd mentality with politics. They're ready to kill this woman. And we know what happens. He stoops down, writes in the sand and all that, and the people end up leaving. Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw that no one but the woman was there, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you or judged you? Where are the people that want to kill you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Religion wanted to kill her. Grace saved her life. Grace personified in Christ, the only one who could forgive her because he had never sinned, but the people who did sin were ready to kill her. Jesus stands in the way and tries to point a mirror back to them so they can see their sin and self-righteousness. They realize they really have no place to judge her. They walk away because maybe he wrote in the sand some of the names of the people that was with her last night. I don't know, but, but they saw I'm guilty. Where are the people that's going to stone you? I don't know. Well, neither do I condemn you. And in that statement, she received mercy, love, grace, kindness, forgiveness, compassion. And because of all that, he then said, go and sin no more. Can you check the order out, please? He doesn't say, go and sin no more and I won't condemn you. That's how many of us grew up with religion. That if I sin, God condemns me. If I sin, God going to stamp me like I'm a roach in the basement. No, he says, here's this grace lavished on you that will change your life in such a way where you won't see sin the same anymore. Because I gave you something for free that gave you life. And because of that position of not being condemned, now it changes your practice on how you live. That's what grace does. So I live a particular way because I'm a recipient daily throughout the day of grace. And when I fall and fail, his grace is there to superbound over my sin. That's the relationship. Thank God that grace is in Jesus and not in man because there's no grace in man as far as religious men. But grace ought to be in children of God. Grace ought to be in us and grace ought to appear to us and through us to help others. Again, Jesus said, freely you've received this grace, freely give it away. Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to show kindness to today? Who do you need to show mercy to today? 
How can somebody feel not condemned after being in your presence? Maybe it's your children. You've been so hard on them. Maybe you need to go and apologize to your children. But God wants grace to come to you and through you. Now, when hurricanes come and devastate communities, there's an immediate need for restoration, and then there's a long-term need for restoration. When hurricanes come through cities and towns and destroy and pillage areas because of these tremendous gales and gusts of wind that are at great miles per hour, they are destructive, and those things in their path don't stand a chance. But when the storm is over, there's help that's going to be needed immediately and long term. When it comes to immediate help, trucks will pull into the devastated area. And on these trucks are supplies to help people in need. There's a truck filled with water bottles because people need water after a hurricane. There's a truck filled with clothes because people need clothes after a hurricane because their homes may have been washed away and all they had was the clothes on their back and those clothes may even be soaked. There's a truck that will pull up with food in it because people need food to eat after a hurricane. There'll be a truck that will pull up with medical supplies because people need medical supplies to live. There'll be pampers and all kinds of things for children. Trucks will pull up. Some trucks will pull up even with sandbags in order to stop areas that are flooded. They'll put sandbags down so that the streets can be operable again. But these trucks pull up because there is a need. And when the truck pulls up, let's just say the water truck. People will gather around the truck ready to receive. But somebody's got to go to the back of the truck, lift the door up, stand on the truck, and begin handing the water to the people on the ground. And then if there's civility in the community, what will happen is the person will receive the water from the person in the truck, turn around and give it to the person behind them, who will then receive it and then turn around and give it to the person behind them who will receive it and then turn around and give it to the person behind them. And this goes on until everybody has been saturated with what they need. What good is it if you receive your water and you just break the line and go on? A truck has pulled up to earth. This truck comes from heaven because God saw the need of his people who were thirsty and hungry and naked and wretched and miserable and poor and blind. So rather than leaving them in this destitute place, God, who is full of grace, pulled up from heaven. And his son began ministering from on high. All the things that we need. He is full of grace. These gifts that we need. But he says, I'm going to give these supplies to the people of God who will then turn around and give these supplies to other folk. 
They're not just going to get these gracious gifts and keep them to themselves. But no, when they get kindness from heaven, they turn around and pass kindness on on earth. When they get love from heaven, they turn around and pass love away on earth. When they get forgiveness from heaven, they turn and pass forgiveness on to the person. When they get mercy from heaven, they turn and pass mercy on to their neighbor. Because when God gives us grace, he gives it to us that it might go through us. Timothy, the things you've heard from me amongst many witnesses, commit to faithful men who can also train others also. Let's pass on the gospel of grace in word and in deed and watch the world say, that's the way the church is supposed to be. Father, would you bless the seeds that were planted? May the enemy not steal. May no one get hung up on a political statement. May they get the gist of this message. We're to be known for our love and what we stand for and not what we stand against. Help us, help this church, help me to really go crazy through grace, to be daring because of grace, to love the so-called unlovable because of grace. Because if you can love and change me, <laughs> you can love and change anybody. If you didn't give up on me, who am I to give up on somebody? Lord, may grace abound. We need you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. <laughs>